Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today we're going to talk about the world is on fire this year over freedom. The Second Amendment, Amendment uh, guest Daniel Wass joins me. Gun control by social media score, gun control for conservatives, and finally in Hong Kong, a win if you just keep fighting. And of course, I'll also tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. America Can We Talk is sponsored by GC Works, a Dallas-based company performing advanced technology research in the oil and gas industry. Hello, welcome again to America Can We Talk. I chose a name for this segment with the world is on fire, and I really do mean that. I want to talk to you about why I say that in today's first five. Yesterday, driving home from the show, I was talking with a good friend about you know the controversies ongoing in America and the protests in Hong Kong and Venezuela and the people in the streets in Iran. And really, this time in our era, there is a an international upheaval, the idea that people are going to stand up for freedom. And there, it is a worldwide standing up being met by a worldwide elitist mindset that is saying, no, you're not going to stand up. You're going to listen to the ruling elite class and just go along with things as they have been. One particular example I want to share today has to do with the efforts in England for the British people who voted to get out of the European Union. This was a big Brexit vote we've talked about many times. The Brexit vote happened, but the UK is still part of the European Union, and it is because a ruling elite class in England, in the Parliament, are simply refusing to go along with the will of the people. As it stands now, we have, and I think it's October 30th to 31st, is the date which, if no agreement as to the terms of the departure from the EU by the UK, if no terms are reached, UK is just out and they're going to march on on their own. But the ruling elite class, and they, this exists all around the world, but the ruling elite class in England is having none of it. They are actually banding together. And I'm not talking about just the liberals. I'm talking about the conservative party in England banding together the, the big globalist mindset people, the ruling elite mindset that's saying essentially, we, the ruling elite, we like being part of the EU. We don't like all this noise from the people about freedom and about our own European culture. And they are putting roadblocks in the way of having the actual Brexit or the British exit from the EU uh, come to play. The, the globalist conservative party, uh, people in the conservative party and the Labour Party banded together a passed bill in the House of Commons, uh, which is like their lower, like their House of Representatives. It hasn't yet passed the House of Lords. But the idea is they're trying to put in place a law that will prevent the UK from actually leaving the EU unless they get a deal with the EU, which essentially what they're trying to do is permanently prevent the UK from leaving the European Union. It is a slap in the face of the voters who overwhelmingly worked very hard to push the idea of an exit from the European Union, a slap in the face of the majority who won. And this is the same mindset happening throughout Western Europe. There are numerous other members, member countries of the EU wanting to fight back and, and get them get back their nation, their sovereignty, their idea of their own country's nationalism and uh, find 
running roadblocks. The EU is not very interested in letting those countries do that. I want to read you a tiny little quote. There was a, mem a member of the, this is the Conservative Party in England, so it should be kind of like our Republicans. There's a gentleman named Dr. Philip Lee. He's a member of Parliament, and he withdrew from the Conservative Party couple of days ago, sent a letter explaining why he was withdrawing from the Conservative Party. He's upset about this idea of Brexit. And the specific thing I want to share with you, it has to do with my theme of this first five today, about the idea that the world is on fire for freedom. This was a sentence in the letter this guy sent to the party, the Conservative Party, withdrawing uh, as a member of that party. He said, sadly, the Brexit process has helped to transform this once great party into something more akin to a narrow faction where an individual's conservatism, with quotes around it, is measured by how recklessly one wishes to leave the European Union. Perhaps more disappointingly, and this is the big language, perhaps more disappointingly, it has increasingly become infected with the twin diseases of populism and English nationalism. And this fire for freedom is ongoing. You know, this is not going to be a... Um, Boris Johnson is just simply not going to surrender, so uh, onward they go. But this fight for freedom, this idea of standing up for freedom, is, is what's happening in Hong Kong as they are pushing back against Chinese totalitarian control. We'll talk about that a little later in the show. It's the same thing happening in the Middle East, in Iran, the people marching in the streets saying, you are not, you uh, mullahs are not going to control our society. You are not going to repress our freedom. The Iranian people are trying to stand up for freedom. It's the same thing happening in Venezuela. The people of Venezuela standing up against the evil of socialism fighting for freedom. And it is exactly front and center what's on the American uh, election cycle in 2020, the idea of the future of freedom in America. That is the issue that Ameri that, that's the top level, high level issue in this country in the 2020 elections is the future of freedom and sovereignty. Are we going to be a country or not? We've run through many times, many of the claims and the mission, the, the goals of the Democrat Party contenders for the presidency. But when these people tell you they don't care about the border, they'd happily abandon the border. They would happily grant citizenship to anyone who wanders into this country. They are completely willing to engage in forced wealth confiscation to redistribute wealth according to their preference for who should have the money. They are willing to go after reparations, which is again extraction of privately owned wealth forcibly redistributed by the government. This is a, a crushing and the beginning of the end of freedom in America. That's what's on the ballot in 2020. In many other ways, too, the American left has gone so far left, as have many other elitists around this world, gone so far into government-controlled society and a pure and utter disdain for the values and the wishes and the goals of the people in their country, even when the people voted for them, as happened uh, in the UK. Well, one issue where this is particularly front and center in America right now has to do with gun control. We've had, of course, the horrific shootings. We're all aware of them. We've talked about several of them on this show. We've had the loss of life, uh, of innocent human life, uh, at the hands of shooters who many argue shouldn't have had guns in their hands. So it's becoming an issue in the 2020 election cycle. What exactly, if anything, is the right thing to do in America, given we have a Second Amendment that guarantees the right to own firearms, and we uh, and 
individual citizens to own firearms. Uh, and also, uh, on the other hand, the pressure from the American left to somehow bring about either gun confiscation or radical control over guns or, or an increased, uh, increased regulations and laws limiting access to gun ownership for American citizens. And that's going to be the topic we're going to turn to in just a moment with our guest who's joining us in just a moment. But to close out this first five today, I want to keep on talking about not just today, but throughout this, all the way through to elections of 2020, about the issue on the table in America and really around the world is whether we, the people, still have the will and the, the determination, the passion for freedom strong enough and relentlessly enough to stand up against a ruling elite class that is not about to let the people have the power that they should have. And that, my friends, is today's first five. We're turning now to interview. I mentioned we had interview a guest joining us um, by phone, or he's going to be on screen in a moment. This is Daniel Wass. Uh, he is actually a former uh, kind of anti-gun guy, and now he's a very strong pro-Second Amendment guy. Uh, he's the author of two books, uh, Gun, Good Gun, Bad Guy, Behind the Lies of the Anti-Gun Radical, and Good Gun, Bad Guy 2, Destroying the Anti-Gun Narrative. Uh, he has a blog, Good Guy, Bad goodguybadgun.net is his website and I believe we have him online to talk with us right now. Hi Daniel. Hey Debbie, thanks for having me on your show. I've been looking forward to this and you're doing a fantastic job. Keep up the great work. Oh, well, thank you very much. I'm so glad you can join me today. Well, I want to just jump right in and talk about uh, and just get into the heart of things on this gun control issue. You know, as I was walking in the studio today, the, there are televisions, big television screens up, and they're showing damage from the hurricane in, bah in the Bahamas. People see damage like that, and they say, the government has to do something and all they can think of is and the left thinks of well must be climate must be a climate problem must be the oil company's fault. it must be fossil fuels they want to find a target and and blame that person and then go after legislation to show to the people we're doing something about it well it's kind of the same idea with these horrific shootings we had a recent as you know one in texas around the country there have been several horrific shootings loss of innocent life the people's answer in part sometimes is just do something government just do something. I'm afraid I want you to fix this. Let me just start with an overarching question. In for you, Daniel Wass, former anti-gun, now pro Second Amendment guy, in light of what has happened, have you heard uh, in this country and the advocacy by the left to, in some way, increase gun control? Are there any proposals floating around out there that you think are good and necessary and vital for us to take in order to try to uh, limit or, or reduce the number of these horrific shootings? No, because all gun restrictions are a restriction on the rights of people and they put good people in danger. Gun restrictions, I have yet to see one gun restriction that didn't meet three simple criteria. Number one, it can't violate the rights of good people. Number two, it, it can't put good people in danger. And three, it must prove to, to save lives. I've never seen one gun restriction that did any of those. They all restrict good people, put good people in danger, and give the bad guys more leverage because the bad guys don't pay any attention to gun restrictions. Yeah, that was one of my central... So my short answer is no. 
Okay, I like that answer, <laughs> but uh, that's great. So I've had this discussion with many women because I will say I think women more than men, especially if they have no familiarity with guns, they, they and their husbands don't hunt, they don't shoot as a sport, so they don't really have familiarity with guns, and they hear about these horrific instances, and they say, can't we at least keep the guns out of the hands of dangerous people, which gets me to the first thing I want to run by you. So President Trump um, is allegedly considering a proposal that was, uh, the one characterization of it was the social credit scoring system. Essentially, President Trump is apparently entertaining the idea of going along with some kind of social credit scoring with information produced by Amazon, Google, and Apple devices. So the devices are already spy on us and we don't like it, but those entities gather mountains of information about individual private citizens. And the idea is apparently being floated by these, these three tech giants. Maybe the president should consider having legislation or backing legislation that would say, you know, let these tech giants assess your personality, decide how dangerous you might be, decide if you're exhibiting tendencies toward future uh, possible danger, and let that scoring system impact whether you have the right to buy a gun. What do you say to that, Daniel Watts? Mm. Well, who, who do you want, who would you want determining your mental stability? You know, this is the problem. The, you know that these, these policies, if, if implemented, would be abused. And, you, you know, the idea that President Trump is, is even considering something like this uh, may just be to accommodate the anti-gun crowd for now. He, you know, some of the things that he's done and said scare me, although I supported him, and I, I, I believe he's doing a great job on so many levels. Some of the gun stuff he says really scares me, but I, I do have a feeling that some of this is really just to accommodate, accommodate them uh, for now. Um, he, he's a strong Second Amendment advocate and supporter, um, and I hope, he, I hope he stays that way. I do too. I will say in this one, I agree with you that, first of all, you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, he's such an interesting president because he doesn't have a political background. He hasn't been in Washington for years. He doesn't have tons of connections, all sorts of different political types. So people are flooding his office, flooding him with ideas. We had this discussion during the health care uh, battle where he didn't have a lot of policy depth on health care. So he listened to one person, another person, another person, and eventually kind of we, we didn't get Obamacare repealed. But back to the gun thing, I think he does try to have, I have a sense about him, he has a fair-minded idea that you should kind of listen to people, see what they're proposing, mm -hmm. process it, and so therefore you're, you're seen as someone who's not just blindly dismissing or blindly marching down the road the NRA says to take, but instead you are thinking. So I, th I think that could be right. But tell me what's so, you know, I, I want to elaborate a little bit on the danger of this idea. You were talking about this idea of the social credit scoring. These big tech giants are liberal. They think the Tea Party is crazy. Well, ex Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. But no, exactly. That's, that's the point. You know, these would be abused so quickly uh, if they're not already, you know, spying as it is on us right now. And we see the way the left and these organizations um, uh, try to eliminate the, the conservative voice on social media. Uh, you can bet that they would jump all over this if this was an actual policy that was put into place and um, and violate the rights of, of good people. So, you know, the problem, the whole problem with this, Debbie, the whole thing is that the left is constantly focused on guns and that's not even the problem. I say it all the time. There's no such thing as gun violence. 
there's human violence that the left refuses to look at. They won't even entertain the thought that violence can come from a human being. Because when you look at the violence that comes from people, you start to look at what caused them to be violent. And we'll start to look at things yeah. like open borders, sanctuary cities, these crazy gun-free zones that they create, rampant pharmaceutical drug use. The list goes on and on of things that cause human violence. But why does the left not want to ever look at those things? Because they're the culprits in creating the policies that create this type of environment. They don't want you looking at the policies because they're the ones who back them and support them. They'd much rather have us looking at guns and, and, and helping people believe that guns are the problem. Guns aren't the problem. This is a human violence thing. And until we get to the, to the causes of human violence and start working on those issues, we're always going to have this problem. Absolutely true. And, you know, it's very interesting because yesterday we had in the show, we were talking with a, an expert who was describing these problems in uh, large public schools and the uh, effort to have racial equity in imposing discipline. And it's easier for the federal level under Obama and, and yesterday the case, I mean, Minnesota, but the government to say there must be racial equity in, in terms of discipline among the various races and ethnicities in the student population, which does which ignores the real problems of school discipline. Discipline, the causes of the school discipline problem. So back to this issue. Right. Yeah, back to this issue in guns. Number one, it's an easy and gut level reaction of the left to say, well, obviously it's a gun problem. Take the guns away because that's an easy thing to argue. We can write a piece of legislation that's going to say this is outlawed, this is outlawed, this is outlawed. They appear to be doing something, but as you say, never getting to the real problem. Another core issue that relates at least to the young shooters, the, the shooters in, in high schools, that many of them is some, I've forgotten the numbers, but very high percent come from fatherless homes. They're kind of lost. They mm -hmm. have this opioid or other drug use. They're not mentally stable and taking, so first of all, they're going to pursue guns anyway, even if you say try to prevent them. Um, but their behavior was caused not by the gun, but by all the problems that we don't want to talk about. Right, and you can take away the gun, and that behavior doesn't change. That behavior will act its way out with a knife or with a car or a bomb or anything else. So, you know, but, but you got to remember that the left really wants to get rid of guns. And because they believe that they could have this, this government-controlled utopia. They really do believe this. And, you know, the, they don't believe in the Bill of Rights like we do, primarily because... These are God-given rights, and a lot of them don't believe in God, so, so the Bill of Rights becomes invalid. Absolutely true. And it's interesting you talk about the Bill of Rights and, and the, uh, where this idea of gun protection, of uh, the right to own guns come from. Yeah, there was a big interaction between um, our great state of Texas, uh, Senator Ted Cruz, and this actress in Hollywood whose name is Alyssa Milano, I think her name is. But she was saying, you know, what are you talking about? A God-given right to bear arms. Show me where that is in the Bible. Yeah. And great Ted Cruz said, I'll show you what it does say, which is you have the right to defend yourself and your life. The Second Amendment's guarantee of the right right to own a gun and that was guaranteed by the it was, it was spelled out by the Supreme Court in the Heller decision that 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 second amendment actually means the individual's right to own a gun is an extension of or an implementation of your right to defend yourself yeah and and, and you know what when we talk about god-given rights and all this stuff you know I'm not the most religious guy I never have been but I understand there's a higher power and 
And the thing that people on the left are being taught on a daily basis is that there isn't. And that, but, but, but see, people, we, we tend to have this, we have this tendency that we want to gravitate towards something bigger than us. And when God is taking, taken out of the equation, where do these people go? Government. Go to government. <laughs> yeah. Go to exactly. government. Exactly. So, so this is a big part of the problem. This is why the two ideologies um, are like, you know, oil and water. They right. don't mix. Right. One of the two, three of the points I want to get to, um, and um, I always point out, I grew up in upstate New York, so I can talk really fast. But one issue was that there is rarely discussion about the number of times that percentage or, or the value of the idea that guns actually protect lives. They save lives. They're used in a variety of circumstances to stop a shooter, to stop some other violent instance, never gets discussed because that makes the left's argument to take guns away from law-abiding people uh, less palatable. Now, I don't know if you have a thought about that, about the value of just gun ownership to save lives. There was a, there was a CDC, a CDC put out a study mm -hmm. that they tried to shelve for a long time because they didn't want the results getting out. Uh, what it produced was um, the fact that 2.46 million times per year, almost two and a half million times per year, guns were used to save lives. And that doesn't necessarily mean good guys killing bad guys. It most often meant just the mere presence of a gun would deter a bad guy. And 46%, it was 46% of those situations were women being able to defend their own life. So the statistics are on our side, but the left doesn't want to hear it. So guns are used two and a half million times in America per year to save lives. Absolutely true. I want to run through my uh, through some ideas. There's a gentleman named Daniel Horowitz for the Conservative Review. I love this guy. He's been on our show before. He's always doing, you know, ten point seven point six ideas kind of things. He has seven ways for conservatives to counter gun control with criminal control. And he's really his his premise just from the title is. Instead of controlling guns, taking guns away from law-abiding people or making it harder for law-abiding people to get them, let's change some laws that may make it harder for criminals to commit crime or when they do commit crime, put them away longer. I'm just curious uh, very quickly what you think. Do you like the idea of uh, in increasing mandatory sentencing for gun felons? Do you have a thought on that one? Uh, I'm, I'm fine with that. Sure. Okay. Sure. Actually, The bad guys... Go ahead. The bad guys should be prosecuted, but the problem is the left doesn't want to prosecute them. But go ahead. Okay, how about actually making mandatory minimums mandatory? All these mandatory minimums that the judges have leeway to not follow. So I, I, do you like the idea, as a Second Amendment advocate, do you like the idea of when you use a gun to commit a crime, having serious criminal penalty attached, and mandatory sentences attaching? Yes, we're not here to defend criminal behavior. We're here to defend rights of good people, law-abiding citizens. So, yes. Okay. Oh, I hear, you know, I forgot to send you this. We had, we emailed ahead of time, and I forgot to send this one thing I found, but um, the, one of the suggestions Daniel Horowitz has is about the idea of allowing good guys to carry everywhere. And Daniel Wass, did you see this story out of the state of Maine? Um, they passed in 20... 15, they passed uh, a law essentially saying uh, that everyone that you're permitted to carry, you didn't have to get a license, you just were permitted, it was an open carry law. And since 2015, they, or actually they call it universal concealed carry law, since 2015, their state statistically has become the safest state in the nation for crime. 
Why do you think that was? Yeah. Yeah. It's also called constitutional carry, and there are 18 states that I, I, I think that number's right now because it changes, but there's, I think there's 18 states right now as we speak that are constitutional carry states, which means you have the right, and they recognize that right to, uh, to carry a gun. And like you just, uh, just mentioned, those states and those areas where there's more concealed carry, there's less crime. It's a very simple it's a very simple notion that the left just doesn't want to see. Where there's more gun restrictions, Chicago, Detroit, Baltimore, Washington, D.C., there's high numbers of crimes because good people can't defend themselves and they're helpless. Where you, you know, um, uh, Robert Feinland said, um, oh, I'm sorry, I got the name wrong. Robert Heinlein said, the, um, you know, uh, an armed society is a polite society. <laughs> and That's it's true because yeah. you wouldn't you wouldn't try to commit a crime on someone, uh, you know, be you know, do a, take a violent act on someone if they have a gun on them. It keeps people nice. Yeah, well, you know, we're here in the great state of Texas, where as as they uh, have said in movie lines, even my florist has a gun. I mean, most people, many people carry yeah. here and assume yeah. that they will. And you made a point earlier. I wanted to go back to you were talking about the. Uh, my word, idiosity of these gun-free zones in public schools. And they are just an invitation that this, the mindset <clears throat> of the left is will make the schools safer by saying they're gun-free zones. But the fact is it invites violence because you know if you're planning to do something, nobody there is going to be armed. <clears throat> you want to comment on that? I'll comment with a question. Okay. On what planet does it make <laughs> sense to bus hundreds of children into buildings all across the country at five days a week, keep them in the buildings for eight hours a day, remove all forms of self of protection, armed security, remove guns, and then post signs on the building that say, everyone in here is unarmed and helpless. These are the most ridiculous policies and they're the things they're the exact, that's why I mentioned earlier, one of the things that the left supports and, and, and creates, uh, as a matter of fact, in New York, um, Governor Cuomo just removed the, the, even the possibility of teachers having guns. He made it law that they can't have guns. But that's another whole story. But they create these policies and they put children in danger. Yep. And then they stand on the graves of those kids and they use those deaths to push for more gun control. This is a sick bunch of people that we're dealing with, and um, and and they need to be run into the dirt. Okay, I hit two more quick topics. One is in the city of San Francisco, the Board of Supervisors, I believe it's called, recently designated the NRA as a terror organization. Mind you, this is a country where we can't yet designate Antifa as a terror organization, Muslim Brotherhood as a terror organization, but the city of San Francisco, now it has no legal impact, but it's just a signal the NRA is a terror organization. Is that crazy or what? Well, this is the stuff I talk about in Good Gun, Bad Guy. I talk about the propaganda, the the terminology they use, the fear tactics, and this is just another way of, this is a way of demonizing the, the NRA. You know, the NRA's got a lot of issues right now, and I hope they get through it and get it all worked out. But in the meantime, you know, the, the left-wing gun grabbers, they, they, they see blood in the water, and they're attacking on every angle now possible. And, um, you know, it, it's it's really a sad thing. The, the NRA is not putting... Like, I, I read a quote, too, here, and I, I, I don't know if I can find it here real quick, but the, um, 
this woman, Catherine uh, Stefani, she says, um, she says uh, the NRA is putting weapons in the hands of those who would harm and terrorize us. Well, oh, for... sorry, the left is the one doing the terrorizing with their fear campaign. They have this anti-gun fear campaign, and they're perpetuating it every single day. So it's just ridiculous propaganda. Absolutely it is. I'm going to hit one last topic. You write blogs, which are great. And again, I want to make sure you get to say the name. You have a uh, website. But you had a piece out about the American left was attempting to suppress uh, one, of the, one of the avenues they have to say, well, why wouldn't anyone, you know, why wouldn't this law, new law be a problem? And their, their idea was to suppress uh, suppressors, the things that make guns quieter when you shoot them. And so that was one <laughs> argument they're making. Well, somehow if we can, we, this will help in gun safety if we ban suppressors and you, you had quite a take on that so why don't you tell our listeners what's wrong with that idea well first of all suppressors help protect the the hearing our actual our eardrums you know they help they help us when we're at the range because um, it, it you know it's loud it can be loud and it can damage your hearing so so suppressors are good um, the left wants to make them uh, into these scary you know things they really what they're trying to do is they're trying to make people who don't know any better believe that if people you have suppressors they're going to be out there you know killing people on a daily basis and in in in, in nobody's going to be able to hear it yeah. <laughs> yeah in silence exactly exactly in silence and nobody will know and so it's 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 more of their fear campaign um, suppressors aren't bad. They're good. Yeah. Okay. So I want to tell our listeners, you, you write really well. You have great stuff. I, I downloaded both your books today on my iPad. Uh, but the Thank website you. is goodgunbadguy.net, right? Right. Okay. And people can go to your website, read what you have to say. I mean, and, and they are also, they can buy your books. Uh, I guess I got mine on Amazon. So you can get them on Amazon. And I, I just want to pe draw people's attention to what you're doing, what you're writing. So is there any other information oh. about how people can find out what you think? Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. And and had I known, I would have sent you a copy. I didn't, you know, I, I didn't want you to. I, I'm happy to send you one. Anyway, Debbie, uh, thank you for that. And um, and they can go to goodgunbadguy.net or goodgunbadguy.com or uh, find it on Amazon. And uh, yeah, you're right. I'm writing for a lot of different publications right now. And um, the um, Ammo Land and Reactionary Times and, and um, just like you know, Western Journal, all sorts of different, different uh, publications. So um, you can find me on Facebook. My name is Dan Wass, D-A-N-W-O-S, and uh, on Twitter. And, and I'm all over social media, uh, speaking on radio shows, in show, great shows like yours every day all across the country. I'm doing all sorts of, uh, all sorts of media. So, um, and, and I'm not done talking. I have another book coming out in December. So. Okay, then. Daniel Wass, thank you so much for joining me. It's great talking with you. Thanks. Thanks so much, Debbie. Okay, right. folks. I'm going to bye-bye. I'm going to wrap up this one other thing on the Second Amendment before I turn to our last topic today, and that is this. There was a Supreme Court decision that said there was controversy for decades about whether or not the Second Amendment actually was meant, was intended to have the uh, individual right of an, an individual American to own a gun, or many anti-gun people were arguing it's not really there. The Second Amendment is not there to guarantee the right to own of individuals. It's about militias. Was it a wartime thing? And I want to just make two points about that. One is the Heller decision. The United States Supreme Court made very clear, not only they didn't concoct this out of whole cloth, they actually went 
went back and looked at what the amendment was intended to do. It is intended to be a guarantee of the right of individuals to bear arms, to own weapons, and keep them in their homes. So the standard is that the Second Amendment, like all the other Bill of Rights, are intended to be a very firm promise from our founding made to individuals. But the reason for the Second Amendment, and this is the second point I want to make in closing out this, uh, this uh, gun discussion of the Second Amendment and all the impending legislation, the purpose of the Second Amendment is not just to allow you to own a gun in your home so you can defend your family or defend yourself while you're out in the world or to even because you like to go hunting or because you like to go shooting and you like target practice, whatever kind of shooting you like. Those are all things you do with your gun. But the purpose of the Second Amendment is to retain the balance of power between individuals and the government. It is in a one of the many paths by which the founders intended to help prevent tyranny from developing in this country. It is about the balance of power between the people and the government. And speaking of Daniel Wasp, we alluded to this, but many tyrants over the decades and centuries have taken away the rights of individuals in their countries to own guns because this leaves the citizens helpless, powerless. They cannot fight back. This is what's happened to Venezuela. The people are left with the government forces out in the streets, sometimes shooting at them, and all the Venezuelans whose guns were all taken away by the socialist government are left with the, the possibility of throwing rocks. Throwing rocks, that's about what they can do. This is what tyrants do, they take away guns. Venezuela, Germany, Russia, country, and, and much of Western Europe is largely disarmed. Australia is largely disarmed. So the idea that this, you know, that the Second Amendment is, was rooted in the idea of keeping a balance of power between the people and the government has great historic precedent and great importance. I have a bunch of clips. Uh, I was going to read a bunch of quotes by our founders. Uh, I'm going to run, run out of time to do that today. If you're interested, I can email them to you. You can email me at americacanbetalk at gmail.com. I'll give you this list. But the founders knew what the purpose of the Second Amendment was, and it was not to be sure that we had uh, enough guns around to be able to, um, you know, to uh, keep ourselves able to go hunting and, and, and to defend ourselves in our homes. It had a very serious, woven in, tied into the founding idea of America that we're going to have limited government and that power resides with we the people. And that, my friends, is the entire story I want to talk about today. It's going to be a big story. You're going to watch what President Trump does, watch other gun-grabbing advocates of the American left. We had Beto O'Rourke. Actually, we have a quick uh, clip, I think, the extremely wonderful producer, Matt. This is Beto. This is a, pre a Democrat presidential con uh, contender. I think he's actually polling at zero. I'm serious. I think that's what it is. So he's not really going anywhere. But He's talking about, oh yeah, we're gonna, we're, you're gonna be forced to sell your guns back to the government. He had other quotes, similar nature. This is a gun grabber guy, and this is when I say, back to the start, my first five today, that freedom is on the ballot this time. Freedom is on the ballot around the world. There is an uprising of the people, a demand for freedom, a throwing off of the elitist ruling class, a determination that we, the people in this country, we hold the power. We are not going to let the ruling elites and the American left to start down the path of reparations and redistribution of wealth and taking away our guns and destroying our border and taking complete control of our health care system. All the things the left intends are all designed to crush your freedom.
And that's what's on the ballot in 2020. Sovereignty, the existence of borders, the power of our country to be an independent country, a sovereign nation, that's on the ballot in 2020. And part of the gun issue is, is very much tied to that. The idea that the Second Amendment is there to allow the people to have a balance of power to understand, as against the government, understand the government can't take all the weapons away, especially if we get end up with another left-wing government like the Obama administration that weaponized numerous agencies against the American people, the IRS, the FBI, the Department of Justice, weaponized against the American people. Those are not the people you want deciding whether or not you have the right to be armed. The last topic I'm going to hit today very briefly has to do with Hong Kong. We've mentioned this, the Hong Kong protests, um, and I just want to make this point about, if, if you haven't been following this, Hong Kong has something like 7.3 million people. It's our final topic for today, Hong Kong, you win if you fight. This Hong Kong has like 7.3 million people. They had over a million estimates up to almost 2 million people in the streets of Hong Kong protesting protesting against a bill that the, the Hong Kong government and it's actually run by a by a Chinese appointed chief executive it's not an elected person running Hong Kong it's a the, the totalitarian communist government of China appoints this person who's running Hong Kong and, and it's a woman named Carrie Lam and there was a bill pending that was essentially going to give the um, to commit to Hong Kong that the Chinese uh, government could at any time demand someone in Hong Kong be extradited sent from Hong Kong up to China to be prosecuted, and the Hong Kong people stood up and protested in the streets. This is another example of this determination for freedom, another example of this idea. We're not, the, the, the Hong Kong people said, we are not going to live under your tyranny, China, because they know how China functions. They know that China's a totalitarian communist government. They know China's gonna be watching people in Hong Kong, and they're gonna find a reason to extradite someone who is agitating against the ultimate turn, turning over of Hong Kong to China when that when their deal is finally up or people agitating for freedoms and people agi agitating for rights the Chinese government wanted to be able to pluck these people out of Hong Kong extradite them up to China and then go ahead and uh, and prosecute them there so the Hong Kong protests were huge and they went on and on we played a clip a couple days ago I think about the Hong Kong protesters singing the American national anthem in the streets of Hong Kong, waving the American flag, crying out for freedom. That's what these people were doing. Well, the big news is, you probably saw it, but the big news is that the Hong Kong chief executive, Carrie Lam, announced she is withdrawing the bill, pulling back the extradition bill. She's not going to push that for it to become law in Hong Kong. This is a huge concession by Carrie Lam. She never would have made that concession without the permission of the Chinese government. So she's got the Chinese government recognizing they cannot contain these freedom fighters in Hong Kong. They cannot withstand the world pressure, the embarrassment, the humiliation, the just the exposure of the totalitarian evil nature of the Chinese government that is being exposed to the world via these Hong Kong protesters. So Carrie Lam pulls back this bill. She said, okay, we're not gonna have it, but it's not really over yet for several reasons. One is that many people, even the pro-Beijing, pro-China leadership in, in Hong Kong realize 
many of these protesters, they just got started. They just fighting this extradition bill is just the beginning. The protesters had a, a litany, a, a list of things that they were demanding. Uh, the only thing they got, the protesters got, was the pulling back of this extradition bill. So that was their first step. But there's wide recognition that the protesters want more. They want China out of Hong Kong. They ultimately don't want to have Hong Kong turned over to China, which was part of the whole deal they set up. It was 50-year term. And, you know, still Hong Kong is free, with air quotes, but Hong Kong is eventually going to become part of China. This is this was a huge concession by the country of China because the message to people in China watching this Hong Kong protest, watching these protesters unrelenting, standing up day after day, singing, chanting, waving the flag, praying, singing Christian hymns, well, you know, just unbearably obnoxious to the Chinese government. The, you know, because they're Chinese, they're socialists, they're communists, they hate religion, they hate God, they hate freedom. That's what socialists are. And in communist China, the Chinese government had to decide that we cannot weather the criticism of the world by shutting down this protest. We can't go violent, and these people aren't going to shut up, so we're going to have to make a concession. The freedom fighters in China, the millions in China who would like freedom themselves, who are sick of the, the communist government, sick of the repression of freedom of speech and religion, sick of the repression and ugliness of socialism and communism, all those people in China saw what happened when Hong Kong protested. They all saw that. They saw, wow, the Chinese government isn't exactly as completely totalitarian as I thought because they had to concede. They had to step back. They had to let freedom win. And folks, when I started the show today, my first five I talked about, and I'm going to keep on talking about this message, this is, a, this is the spirit, this is the, the force of the, that is in, on display in the world. This is the, the world on fire for freedom. In Hong Kong, it will be in China, in the streets of Iran, in Venezuela, in Western Europe, in the United Kingdom, other European countries who don't want to be part of the EU, and in America. This is a worldwide uprising of people who want freedom. They want to throw off their elite ruling class. They want to throw out the people who think they're just going to decide for us. This whole globalist mindset, this whole globalist control over you. There's a spirit of freedom. It's the most extraordinary thing to be watching. It's an extraordinary time to be alive in this world. Extraordinary time to watch what's happening. And it's incumbent on every American listening to this show, people who are involved in politics, to speak in these larger terms. The issue is not just in 2020, you know, which of the Democrats is most likely to win the primary, which these Democrats can most likely beat President Trump. It is, are we going to stand up as a country for freedom? This is what happens. This is why people are drawn to President Trump's rallies. It's not because of his... Um, every word he ever said or because of his personal life conduct it is about they sense the people in america sense in donald trump a man who loves freedom like they do a man who loves america like they do they are yearning for someone to stand up and say these things and that is it is uh in my opinion it's going to be 
an easy landslide for President Trump in 2020, unless there is a lot of uh, cheating which uh, in, in the uh, voting booth, which is a huge concern for Americans. But the spirit of America is, re, is re-energized, is resurging again right now because we had decades and decades of surrendering to a larger and bigger and more oppressive federal government controlling more aspects of human life, more aspects of our personal life, and we finally had a president come along and say, no, we're America. We love freedom. We support freedom. We're going to bring freedom back. We're going to bring border security back so we have sovereignty, so we have a country. We're going to bring jobs back so we have a free market economy that can flourish and blossom. What America's economy is doing today is not because of personally President Trump's personality or it is his policies, but it's his embrace of the ideas of freedom upon which America was founded that include the idea of free markets, the idea of a hardworking, industrious, self-reliant people making their way in the world. That's what Trump represents to this country. That is what's on the ballot in 2020. And finally, my friends, I want to tell you about the stories we talk about today. I always want to end the show by telling you why what we've talked about in the show today matters to you. So this world on fire, I want to talk about, which I, I just think that is a perfect description, a world on fire for freedom. In the UK and Brexit, Venezuela and the MAGA movement in here, these are stirrings of we the people toward freedom and the elitist remainers in the UK are thumbing their noses at their own people. Venezuelans know socialism kills. They want freedom. Much of the MAGA rally enthusiasm is about Trump as champion of the common man and opposition to the freedom-crushing agenda of today's American left. This is a righteous rebellion in favor of freedom. It may be the most potent force on earth. Freedom and sovereignty are on the ballot in America in 2020. On guns and freedom and why it matters to you, the Second Amendment is about self-defense, especially against a weaponized government. The Obama administration weaponized the federal government against political opponents. The FBI, the DOJ behavior we talked about so much on this show of the last several years is on display for America to see what a weaponized government looks like. It has spiked America's distrust of law enforcement. Free people never want all weapons in the hands of a weaponized government. Just ask the Venezuelans, the Germans, or the Russians. In Hong Kong, you have to fight in order to win. That bill that was going to require the Hong Kong uh, government to send people up to China when they wanted to, to extradite them to China, that did not get pulled because the the Hong Kong government realized the error of its ways. It got pulled because Hong Kong realized they could not withstand the pressure of the people and the world watching, the world stage watching the protests. So specifically, Red China can't control the optics or risk the consequences of a violent crackdown in Hong Kong. The Hong Kong extradition bill didn't get pulled because the government realized it was wrong. It got pulled because of protesters embarrassed China and Hong Kong. This level of unrelenting pressure is needed to fight back against elitists who do not listen to the people in Hong Kong, Venezuela, the UK, and in America. And that, my friends, is my show, America Can We Talk, for today. 
I love to hear from our listeners. Oh, I was going to tell you, I have emails from all over the world. I love hearing from you. Please keep emailing me. I try to reply to everyone. The email is americacanwetalk at gmail.com. The show is available on YouTube. Please subscribe to this channel. Share it with your friends. If you're watching Facebook, like this Facebook page. Subscribe to it. Comment. I love your comments. I try to respond when I can. I love, if you're listening to wherever you're listening to this on podcast, share it with your friends. I want this show to grow because I think the message of the show is really the message of our time about the need to stand up and demand and expect to receive the kind of freedom, the return of freedom, the return of the sense of freedom and self-reliance and goodness upon which America is founded. This show is dedicated to speaking up for the unique, extraordinary greatness of America because America matters. Talk to you Monday. Can we talk truth about America? Can you-